0: Today's sermon passage, Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So our Father and our God, we pray now you would take these words of truth that you've given to your people and that you would speak them to us in such a way that our faith in you would grow, our hope in your promise would increase, and our longing to please you in this life would be elevated. Oh, Lord, work among your people. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's really great to be with you all this morning. If you haven't done so Already, please take your Bible and turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 3. We here at Redeemer are studying our way through the book of Galatians, and we have come to a particularly dense and theologically heavy section of Galatians. And I think it's really important for us to lean into what Paul is saying and not merely try to skim across. So let's lean into what Paul is saying and let's not try to skim across. Now, before we dive in, here's the, the issue in the book of Galatians. What is required to be a Christ follower in fellowship with god's people what's required to be welcomed as a christ follower in fellowship with god's people that's the issue at work here in galatians and there were some people who were wrong who are being rebuked vehemently by the apostle paul who were saying this you need faith in jesus yes faith in jesus brings salvation yes But you also need circumcision. You also need submission to the law of Moses. And so in essence, you need to be a Jew to be a Christ follower. That's what's at stake here. And what Paul is arguing again and again and again and again is this. We must not return to the law which Jesus has freed us from. We must not return to the law which Jesus has freed us from. And a bunch of Gentile people who have never felt the weight of the Mosaic Covenant, have never felt the weight of the Old Testament laws, we're like, amen, amen. But in this early phase of the life of the church and of this understanding how exactly is it that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, that Jesus, that Jesus is the Jewish promised one. What's it going to look like for us as Christ followers? How are we going to invite others to come and join the work of Jesus? And there were some who were saying, invite them to Jesus, then invite them to Moses. Invite them to Jesus and then invite them to the law. And Paul is saying, no, 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 and no. And so for many of us, chapter 3 and 4 of Galatians is going to feel like this. You remember when you were a kid and your parents would say, like, you need to not do this and you need to do this and you didn't like it and your face showed it and then your mom and dad continued to go on for about 15 minutes explaining all the reasons why you shouldn't do this and you should do this anybody besides me remember those those days okay in many ways that's what Paul's doing here and the reason he is is because he knows what's at stake and he knows that these dear galatians need to hear and understand and believe in such a way that they won't question and doubt. They won't be tossed to and fro by everybody who comes through town with a Bible and an idea. And so he's going to go into the, the theological depths here. And I want to invite you there because I think it's it's a good place for us. But the takeaway kind of remains the same throughout Galatians 3 and, and Galatians 4. And it's this. cling. To the saving promise of God in Jesus Christ. Cling to the saving promise of God in Jesus Christ. Respond in faith. And then what today is going to add is this. Allow the law of God to elevate and magnify And push you toward the promise of God. Not to minimize and pull you away from the promise of God. Allow the law of God to magnify and elevate and push you toward the promise of God in Christ Jesus. Now, we'll talk about that together. So, um, as I said, we're going to go into some theology Theology is good, some of you love it, some of you hate it, but we all need it. So the first point, I think it's going to be helpful to us, we have a really huge chunk of scripture, and those of you who know me are like, yeah man, there's no way he's getting through this today. Except I'm on vacation the next few Sundays and I've already assigned the text for the next two Sundays, so we're getting through this today. Because LJ's picking up in verse 8 next week, whether I get there or not. And we all know Austin, he's already written his sermon for the 23rd. It's complete. The manuscript's in a file back there somewhere. I'll make that joke when he's in here next hour, I promise. Um, So we're going to get through this today. I think the best way for us to get through it is is to kind of see some themes here in the passage. So, So point number one. Abraham, Moses, and Jesus. Abraham, Moses, and Jesus. So the Galatian problem begs the question of how do we read the Old Testament and how do we understand the history of God's interaction with Abraham and God's interaction with Moses and God's interaction with Israel, his people? How are we going to make sense of that? And so... As I said, that's not a question that a lot of us feel the angst of or feel the weight of, but it's really an important question that we all need to wrestle with and comprehend. And so, so the launching verse is actually verse 14, the end of last week's passage. Paul said this, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, that's the blessing that God promised to Abraham and his descendants might come to the Gentiles, that's to all the nations, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So the launching point here is Christ is the blessing promised to Abraham, which might then cause a Jew or the problem causers in Galatia to say, but what about Moses? What about the law? And so here's the quick overview before we get into detail. Number one, God made a promise to Abraham. Number two, God gave his law for his people through Moses. Moses. Number three, Jesus came to complete the promise given to Abraham. Jesus came to complete the promise given to Abraham. Now let's talk about what all this means. Ultimately, I think there's two ways to read Abraham, Moses, and Jesus. The first goes like this. Yes, God gave a promise to Abraham. The promise was that through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So yes, God gave a promise to Abraham. But then he gave his law to his people through Moses. And so the the, the wrong way I believe to read the Old Testament, the wrong way to tell the story of Jesus would be like this. That God gave his promise And then his promise morphs into the law. So God's people are the people of the law. And so Christ is the fulfilling Messiah for the people of the law. That's how the opponents in Galatia were telling the story. And what that would mean would be that the promise and the law God's people are also the people of the law. So in Christ, we also need to be the law people. But Paul says, no, 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 no. That's the wrong approach. The the correct approach is this. God gave a promise to Abraham. And yes, some 400 plus years later, he gave the law to his people. That law was to shape the people of promise and to prepare the people of promise for the coming Messiah. But Christ completes the promise, and the people of Jesus are people of faith like Abraham and not people of law. So Christ is the completing promise of the promise to Abraham. I know that sounds like a lot, but let's let's walk through this here. So first, there was a promise made to Abraham. This picks up in verse 15. The promise made to Abraham is in Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Here was the promise. It's cited in Galatians 3.8. Abraham, I've selected you. I've set my love upon you. I've given you my calling. You are my child, and I am going to bless you. And through you and your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So, So God gave this promise to Abraham. And so verse 18 tells us that the inheritance of God comes by promise and not by works of the law. So the inheritance of God comes by promise and faith, just like it came to Abraham. So we respond to Jesus, the promise of God, by faith and not by works of the law. Works of the law meaning performing before God to earn God's blessing and God's favor. Okay, Paul, I hear you the promise is to Abraham and the people of Jesus or the people of Abraham. Well, you got one problem. What's that? Most of the Old Testament, that's your problem. What about the law? What about the law? So Paul, being a good writer in verse 19 says, why then the law? This is our second thing. The law was given to the people Through Moses. Yes, Paul, the law did, excuse me, yes, Judaizers, the law did come after the promise. But the fact that it was second doesn't make it primary. The fact that the law was given second doesn't make it primary. Notice what he says here in verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, Even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring. It doesn't say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. We'll come back to that. And to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. Do you hear what Paul's saying here? He's saying there was a promise to Abraham, there was a law to Moses, this came first, this came second, and Abraham's promise is still primary. The fact that law came second doesn't mean that it's the final word, it's still primary. So the promise to Abraham preceded the law and revealing, and the promise to Abraham is primary in the storyline of Scripture. It's primary in the storyline of Scripture. Now, there are a whole bunch of other things Paul says, what about the law? That's going to be our second point this morning. So let's keep going. So so what... Paul does is he says Jesus came to complete the promise given to Abraham. That's verse 18. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So what Paul is ultimately doing here in this biblical story is he's saying this. God met with and made a promise to Abraham. God met with and gave a law through his people, Moses. And God finally and fully revealed himself in his son through which he reveals his saving plan. And this is the key. The gospel of Jesus is the, the full completion of the promise given to that the people of God find righteousness before God by faith and not by works of the law. Not by works of the law. So Abraham and Moses and Jesus are all part of God's story. And so... <clears throat> the Judaizers were wanting to elevate Moses and elevate the law and elevate finding their identity in the law. And Paul's saying, no, no, the promise is to Abraham and Christ is the completion of the promise. And so as a good Jew, you feel bad for Moses. You're like, hold on, what about Moses? If this is true, what about the law? And maybe some of you who who are very well read would say, Well, Jamie, recent scholarship has revealed that the Judaizers understood that no one was saved by the law. So Paul's arguing against a straw man. Not what's happening at all. Paul's saying if you make law requirement, then you're undermining grace. If you make law necessary in any shape or form, you might as well say we're saved by works of the law. Because you're definitely implying it and you're definitely requiring it. So Paul's saying we're going to celebrate the promise given. Abraham. But I can't just dismiss this out of hand because this is a real crisis in the church at this time. So Paul is going to spend the majority of this text talking about the law. What about the law? And here's what he's going to say. The law was given to the people of promise to show them their need of God's Savior to drive them to the promised one. It was never intended to establish a basis of performative salvation or performative keeping of place in God's family. The law was always to shape how the people lived as people of promise. In essence, what Paul is going to argue is, The law of Moses was never intended to trump the promise given to Abraham. It was for the children of promise to know how to live in a fallen world as the children of Abraham. And so Paul dives straight into these questions. Verses 19 and 20. Why the law? Why the law? He says, point blank, The law was added to make sin known and make God's expectations known. The law was added to make sin known and to make God's expectations known. It was added to expose sin so the coming Savior would be longed. Those of you who were who with us when we studied the book of Exodus just last year. We came to this beautiful passage in the middle of Exodus where the people have seen God speak to them. They've seen God deliver them out of bondage. They've seen God work miracles on their behalf. They've seen God lead them out into the middle of nowhere. And on this mountain, God appears and he says, I am. Am the Lord your God who led you out of Egypt, now therefore you shall. You see, the shall is about living as people of promise. Never was it intended to be about entering the promise. God gave the promise to his people. Okay, Paul? Paul? Does that mean that, this is verse 21, the law is contrary to promise, that law and promise are enemies and we have to pick sides. Paul says, certainly not. Certainly not. Why not? Because there's no law and no law keeping that can lead to life or righteousness. The purpose of the law was to elevate and celebrate the promise. Look at verse 22 or verse 21. If law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would be by the law, but it's not. The scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The purpose of law is to define sin, shape what sin is, and reveal sin so that we will see our need of Christ. The purpose of the law was to shape the people of promise so that they would longingly wait for the Savior who was to come. John Stott very simply says it this way The law lifts the lid off of man's respectability and discloses what is truly underneath. And that's a horrifying reality for. So the purpose of law was never to be contrary to promise. It was to elevate promise, to build longing for promise. Now, Paul keeps going. There's an implied question, an implied third question that picks up in verse 23. What does the law do? If if law was given to expose sin and law is given to elevate promise, then why did we need it? Number one, he says, the law was actually, it actually held us captive and imprisoned us. Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So Paul says that the law actually shows us how much we sin. It shows us how trapped in sin we are. Have you ever had that prayer of, like, how long, oh Lord, till this temptation, this struggle, like, can I just turn the page and it just go away? Like, when I turn 60, is it finally gonna stop? And some of you, dear brothers and sisters who have reached 60, you're like, oh no, we're longing for 80, brother. But the reality is, everywhere, We humans are exposed to God's law. We feel the weight and the bondage of our sin. Was that because God's harsh? No. Is that because God's evil? No. Is that because God wants to take all our joy out of life? No. It's to drive us to Jesus. Jesus is to drive us to the better way. Second, what does the law do? He says it holds us captive and it imprisons us to make us long for freedom, to make us long for a better way. The one thing that's true of every prisoner is they want out. And the law is to show us that Jesus is the only way out. Second, Paul's going to make this analogy. What does the law do? And the analogy is that it literally pushes us to Jesus. And the analogy he picks up here in verse 24. It says the law, the ESV says, was your guardian until Christ came. in order that we might be justified by faith. So he says the, gar- the law was a guardian that would push us to Christ. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, he comes back to it. And, and what he's doing is he's saying that in a, a household of this time, there's the homeowner, the landowner, the head of the house, and he has a young son who is the heir of everything. In some strange way, it all belongs to him. But he's like six, right? And so what would happen in this custom is the landowner would actually take a slave. So get the irony of this. He would take a slave and put the slave over the son. And he would say, slave, your job is to get the son to his training. It's to get him to his responsibilities. It's to get him to where he needs to be so that when I die, he's ready to be an adult who leads the household. So when he says a guardian, he he doesn't mean like a fun babysitter that lets you eat food that mom and dad want. Not that any of you babysitters would ever do that. But he's actually saying That the guardian is more like a taskmaster who pushes and prepares and shows the, the child that there's a better way. Why? Because at the date set by his father, chapter 4, verse 2, he becomes the owner. He becomes the heir. He is no longer a slave. So Paul says what the law does is it's this task-driving guardian that shows us that we can never keep it all. It's this task-driving guardian that puts to death law-keeping for righteousness. It's this task-driving guardian that shows us that we need a Savior from outside of us, and it drives us to Jesus. That's what the law does so, what about the law? Paul says the law was a gift, the law was good, the law showed us what sin was, the law showed us what God desired, the law showed us that we can't perform our way into acceptance before God. The law held us captive and imprisoned us so that we would long for something better. And the law, in a strange disciplinarian, task-driving way, showed us that Jesus is indeed better. It showed us that promise is better than law. It showed us that faith For righteousness is the way rather than works for righteousness. The quote that's been coming to my mind all week comes from Thomas Watson. Until sin be bitter, Christ will never be sweet. And so what Paul is saying is the law is necessarily bitter. So that we will enjoy fully. The sweetness of Christ. The law is necessarily bitter so that we will enjoy the sweetness of Christ. Now, Galatians stops there. Some of you who are well-studied theologically would say, well, if you read the whole corpus of Scripture, you would see that Paul speaks of a third use of the law. True, but not today. Today we're stopping where Galatians stops. There's more in the totality of the New Testament, but Paul's point is this. Christ came to complete the promise to Abraham. Don't undermine promise by elevating law. Rather, let law drive you to promise. So let's do some application Number one, the direct application of this passage is don't elevate the law of Moses to a place where we are confused about what humanity needs. Humanity doesn't need law keeping. Humanity needs Jesus. We don't need law keeping. We need Jesus. Our children don't need religious performance. They need Jesus. Let's highlight that. Number two, let's recognize that law is good when used appropriately. The people of Jesus, the people of faith, the people of promise don't have to be anti-law. We're called upon to be anti-law keeping. So just take the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make unto me any graven image. Don't covet, don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Are we against those things? God is still for all of those things. But Paul's saying don't turn those into a checklist to base your relationship with God upon. Rather, let them show you how much you need Jesus. Let them, in the words of Stott, lift the lid off of you and expose you for all that you really are. Let them be a guardian that drives you to say, oh, how much I need Jesus. And those of you that are like, Jamie, I've been a Christian longer than you've been alive. I still believe that the way forward tomorrow morning is to wake up and say, oh, how much I need Jesus and how sweet it is that I know him, how sweet it is that I'm redeemed by him. So let's celebrate what the law is and let's use it. This pushes us to a third point, and I'm just going to give this as a beautiful vision, because there's a beautiful vision in this passage that I believe opens up the rest of Galatians for us. So third, people of faith and spirit. People of faith and spirit. Well, there's two beautiful passages here. The first begins in chapter 3, verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Now, Now, hear this. Everyone who's in Christ is an heir of the promise given to Abraham. We are the people of God whom he will keep and use to take his name to the ends of the earth. And because of that, Jew and Greek are equally invited to Christ. Slave and free are equally invited to Christ. Male and female are equally invited to Christ. Chapter 3 verse 28 is one of the most misused and misappropriated passages in all the scripture right now. It doesn't say that all distinction is obliterated. It says that distinction is no longer the basis of... Of acceptability. Jew and Greek come to Jesus, come to God by faith in Jesus. Slave and free come to God by faith in Jesus. Male and female come to God by faith in Jesus. And to put it back in the words of chapter 2 and break bread around the table because we're one in Jesus. That's the first beautiful vision. Here's the second beautiful vision it's in chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has spent, sent us the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So what Paul is saying is that at just the right time, God sent his son, Jesus, into the world to take all the people under the weight of law and say, receive Sonship, receive adoption as sons. Receive a welcome into my family and a welcome into my kingdom and a welcome around my table. What a beautiful gift for Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female. And receive my spirit. Receive my spirit. This is one of the few places in the scripture that speaks of the spirit of God being directly put into all who are children of God. We have received his spirit. The spirit of God's in us. And now here's how we're going to go forward. Some of you are like, okay, Jamie, but what, what about morality? What about behavior? What about rules? If we're not under law, then what about all that? Well, here's going to be the answer in the rest of Galatians. You are called upon to follow the Spirit of God who dwells within you. And the Spirit of God is going to move you toward the righteousness of Jesus. But we do it as sons. We do it with God's help. We do it in God's power. And if you want to talk more about this beautiful promise and this wonderful spirit, we got three more chapters to go. And I'm so excited about it. So our Father and our God, we pray now that you would take these words of truth which you've given to us, your people. We pray you would cause us to hear them, receive them, and believe them. Pray this in Jesus' name.